Welcome to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, we're talking disaster. Everything you need to know to be prepared for disaster with an ASPCA expert this week. Welcome back to the Veterinary Viewfinder. This week, we're going to be kicking off a series on how your hospital can be better prepared for anything and everything and What's more unexpected than a disaster, whether it's a hurricane, a flood, a fire, a mudslide, you want to be prepared. And we've got an expert this week from the ASPCA who's going to tell us how we can be better prepared and how we can help our clients through any disaster. Once again, I am your host, Dr. Ernie Ward. And I'm veterinary technician, Becky Mosser. And I'm missing Dr. Cindy as always. Can't wait to have her back. When's she coming back again, Dr. Ernie? Yeah, it's sometime before 2021, I oh, believe. We can't yeah, wait. I mean, it seems like we've been talking about this for months and months. But regardless, Dr. Cindy is still enjoying time with her precious baby. So, you know, I'm not going to rush her back. You've got to come back when you're ready and your son is ready, Cindy. But we do miss you. Family first, miss yes. This. Yeah, but you're going to miss this conversation because this one is a big one because Becky and I live on the East Coast. I think that I have personally endured now about 24 tropical storms and or hurricanes in my veterinary career so i'm excited who have we got up this week well we know that's true because we've seen you drive through them in your vlog and we can get some <laughs> tips and tricks about what miss gina Mankey thinks about that miss don't gina, mention don't mention the hurricane. we saw it yeah. miss gina is a uh is the senior responding manager for the fur team with the aspca and i'm excited to talk to her about all the experiences she's had and how we can help our clients to be better prepared so miss gina tell me a a little bit about what you do and how you got there. Absolutely, and thank you for having me. Uh, with, with the ASPCA, I oversee and develop the team's responder program. So that includes anybody that comes out and assists with uh, pets and uh, families that are impacted by disasters. And I help bring uh, additional responders in, volunteers, and we support through disaster uh, preparedness. Before assuming my role, I uh, was involved in horse rescue. I grew up my whole life uh, riding horses and just really loved um, my, my time with horses and uh, sort of combined that passion with my previous career in project management and came to the ASPCA. So Gina, you're calling us today from Colorado, is that correct? Yes, I am. Well, and not many hurricanes hit Colorado. So when you look at all of the deployments that ASPCA goes on, what's like the number one disaster emergency that you're sending veterinary technicians and veterinarians out in the field to help with? What's the big disaster? You know, we see a lot of responses to uh, hurricanes, but also to wildfires uh, more out west in California or Colorado. Um, so there's a wide span of disasters that we deploy to from tornadoes to hurricanes and wildfires. 
That's amazing. I would not have necessarily thought about the wildfire aspect as quickly. And I guess that's because it's not something we're affected here at the beach by very often. We know Dr. Cindy's out west as well, where there's a lot of tornadoes, but wildfires. So tell me a little bit about what that deployment looks like and when that disaster happens. You know, what does it look like to get people there and what are some of the first steps you take? You know, when we respond, we work with local organizations and law enforcement, and we respond at the request of of the local organizations. They'll call the ASPCA in, and we bring in resources, whether it's additional crates and transport vehicles, sheltering support, uh, medical professionals, Uh, We can set up a temporary shelter, provide field rescue. So we really talk with the local law enforcement and organizations and identify what resources they need the most and try to bring that in to their community. Now, I have to say, I had an experience with the response team in New York City where you guys took in over 500 cats. So when you say we gather resources, I don't think people out there can totally understand the enormous endeavor that this is in some cases for you guys and the absolute from all the way down from uh, boxes of duct tape to uh, safety goggles to crates to food to padding to toys and even all the way to enrichment. I know I got in a little trouble maybe for a few extra treats for the kitties (laughs) when I was in New York. But um, explain a little bit some of the gee whiz numbers that you guys deal with in these responses. You know, we can set up temporary shelters for anything from, you know, 50 animals to as much as 500 or more. And that does take building from the ground up. Often when we go into communities, we're looking at warehouses or, uh, you know, a fairground, any facility that we can go in and turn into a temporary shelter for animals. From there, we have to bring in uh, crates and panels and the manpower to build from the ground up and really create a full functioning facility, as well as the medical component for those animals to provide the best care and, and rehabilitate animals, reunite those animals with their owners if we're in a disaster. Uh, and that takes a lot of uh, support. We have over 3,000 total responders uh, that we're able to bring in. And about 350 are, are vet professionals that we can call on throughout uh, the United States, which is really nice. And those are the ones coming in and helping provide that expert care. Yeah, Gina, you know, I've, I've worked with different rescue organizations and different disaster type situations, and I found it to vary widely, like how much close coordination there is with, you know, like the local law enforcement and human health, uh, you know, providers and so forth. What does ASPCA do to facilitate and bridge that? You know, because I've been on scene before where like the police really didn't know what we were supposed to do or if we could even do it. How does ASPCA help? We create, uh, we create memorandums of understanding with the local law enforcement, with local organizations, states, uh, 
or counties that, that really create that understanding of what our resources will bring and what our role will be. And that's one of the reasons we ask our responders to take uh, FEMA in, uh, FEMA courses that cover the incident command system. And it helps understand where local law enforcement falls, what our role will be, and really the division of duties, the chain of command, and what everybody will be doing. It changes from operation to operation, but the same structure and flow uh, really remains the same. And that, that goes for all law enforcement, uh, fire, anybody responding to a disaster. So if you're now, if you're listening today and you, you say, well, you know, I've, I've always kind of been curious about this. What do you do to get started? Like, how could someone find out and learn more about getting involved with ASPCA uh, disaster? Sure. We have a webinar on ASPCAPro.org that actually goes everything from over everything from what to do, uh, how to sign up our requirements to what to expect. Okay, I've signed up, now what? Uh, I've provided availability, what happens next? And it goes through every step from uh, getting a flight to what will happen when you actually land in some strange city and don't know anyone, but you're eager to help. And um, I, I believe Becky could talk a little bit more about her experience of, of what it was like showing up to a deployment where um, you know she was just eager to help, but all of the support that was provided uh, to, to help. Yeah, I have to say, you know, I am not an easily intimidated person in any way. So I was very excited, but there was this this very unnerving part of me of how does this look and what will this be like? And you get emails um, very regularly all through your deployment as well as up to it with your itinerary and just about what all parts of your day are going to look like. So prior to deployment, you're given a checklist, you're given your chain of command and all of your contact information. Your flights are arranged for you and um, you're advised about your transportation. So I have to say it was kind of funny when my Uber driver drops me off. I'm in this like back alley warehouse district in Long Island City, <laughs> New York. And he's like, is this it? And I'm like, yeah, no, I think this is it. And he's like, I I'll wait here because <laughs> he it's just this alley of warehouses because where do you put 500 cats? So um, in I go, and you are given some ASPCA shirts, you're given a quick tour, um, and then you're basically told, gown up, glove up, get in and get moving, um, and then you work your tail off for the next 12 hours. Um, it's the most gratifying, enjoyable work, and, you know, I have to say, the veterinary teams that I met were amazing, but... The, as always, the, the, the support systems that there are in place are the people who make things so easy and so smooth that they have a logistical team that comes in and makes sure you have everything you need and they are just a walkie-talkie away. Whether you need someone to come and help you pass something off so that you don't have to get out of your sterile uniform or if you need uh, something to be stocked. So incredible experience with tons of support. 
Yeah, absolutely. And and like you said, it was you work your butt off and it's so rewarding, but I hear over and over again from from our responders that come out, um there's nothing more rewarding a vet uh, just told me, as a vet, I can think of nothing more rewarding than seeing your patients improve. And as a responder with the FUR team, there's something I get to see over and over again. And and people come out and they work their butt off. They'll work for 12 hours. It's it's incredibly hard work, but rewarding. And, and people come back with a smile every day. And it's one of the best hands-on training experiences I, I think people can truly get. I would absolutely agree with that. And, you know, this was a situation where there were 500 cats who were going to be depopulated and all of these cats were saved. And then you got to watch these huge transportation movements where groups of cats were moved out to local rescues, some of them to veterinary clinics who were able to get through any needed supportive care that they were going to need for the next few weeks until they were adoptable. But all of those cats were getting adopted and going home. Um, and, and I managed to leave without any of them, although there were a few candidates. Um, I managed not to bring anybody home with me. But it was it was an incredibly rewarding experience. And when we talk so much about a profession where we don't always get to feel we're chasing passion or we're getting burned out or tired, I really I really talk to you colleagues out there and say, this is a great opportunity to fill your cup and feel like the, the medicine you want to do in the payoff that you're getting and to challenge your skills a little. And what's great is the variety of people with different backgrounds coming together with such similar drive. It's that passion for animals that, that brings everyone together and is so rewarding. And, and what we do to directly help the animals that the ASPCA makes those needs a priority and, and really, uh, you know, just helps the animals, does the enrichment uh, to ensure that while we're sheltering, they're getting the extra treats and the responders feel informed and are getting that information before, during, and after their deployment. Uh, it's the attention to detail and the, the passion that brings everyone together. Well, Gina, in addition to hurricanes and wildfires and floods and so forth, ASPCA and your group actually do much more. So what are some of the other things that you're involved with and need volunteers to help you with? Absolutely. Uh, we Our primary goal is to remove animals from crisis situations. So that could be those natural disasters, uh, but it also includes uh, situations like animal fighting or puppy mills, hoarding, neglect, uh, any time where uh, a local community needs additional resources, uh, we are able to bring in our experts and provide those resources, including the medical uh, resources, vets, vet techs, sheltering, investigative, um, extra duct tape, whatever they need, you know, and bring in transportation. Sometimes it is as simple as providing transport. The community is able to uh, manage on their own, but they need the transport. But oftentimes we're bringing in the uh, medical teams, the sheltering team, setting up a temporary shelter. And our, our goal is to really help the animals. We're just happy to help. 
Gina, who can help? Like, are you looking for licensed veterinarians, veterinary technicians who are credentialed, or who can actually participate in these programs? You know, we're, we're always looking for additional responders to come in and help. And uh, everyone must be 18 years of age. Um, from that, we have some minimal training and requirements, such as the FEMA courses I mentioned before. Uh, we also have some ASPCA webinars. But uh, as far as the credentials for vets and vet techs, we're, we're looking for folks who are eager to come out and help. And depending on the situation and the state, uh, that will dictate the licensing that we need. In some situations, we're able to work with the state to uh, lift those licensing requirements. In others, um, we need those vets to have the specific state license. So it really depends, and that's why we look to really build our uh, medical community in our, our responder database. So as we travel from Alabama to Kentucky to New York, all the way to California, we can call on our responders and, and see who's available and has the skill set and, and requirements to come out and help with that specific situation. And how many deployments does ASPCA send your teams out on each year? Any idea? Is it 10, 100? Uh, last year, we had 26 total deployments. Um, 10 were specifically cruelty, 8 uh, blood sports, 7 disasters, and then uh, 1 infectious disease. I just wanted to kind of weigh in on the whole who can help out with this because those numbers are somewhat staggering and it seems like there is a place for everyone. And um, in these situations, we met people who did everything you can imagine for a living, um, all the way down to temporary workers, to veterinarians who do basically contracting. And a little shout out to my roommate, Devin Taylor, who is a VP of loan operations at a bank. And she spends her two-week vacation um, every year volunteering. And then I had Johanna Matra, who is a veterinarian who loves to go on these deployments. So there really is a little bit of everyone in an amazing, to your point, group of people coming together for one cause. Well, Gene, I'd like to also, while we've got you today, to share some of your best practices and tips for veterinary clinics that are, are facing a disaster. So, I mean, obviously we're on the East Coast and we're, you know, now in hurricane season once again. I mean, you see a hurricane coming, you know a flood is about to happen or there's a wildfire breakout in your area. What should a veterinary clinic do? What are some of the first steps they can do to help their clients, their patients, you know, actually get through these disasters with, with no harm? You know, I, I think the most important thing to do is to provide those disaster preparedness tips to their clients. Um, also, a clinic can provide a safe haven if they're in a safe zone to their clients. Often we encourage uh, you know, the community to create their disaster preparedness plan and have a safe haven for pets in the event of a vac evacuation. And if a, a clinic or hospital is in a safe zone, that is a perfect place for uh, the community to bring their pets if they have to evacuate and don't have a place to bring their pets. Uh, another thing that they can do is ensure their clients have copy 
piece of medical records. Um, one really important thing is to ensure uh, that people have copies of their medical records uh, when they evacuate. So ensuring they're sending all their clients home with those and they know what to do with them. And uh, that's really important as well. We encourage people to make photocopies and also have a jump drive of them. There's an ASPCA app um, that you can download on, on the iTunes store and store all of the medical records and other important information in there. So clients can, uh, or hospitals can help their clients uh, with that and getting that important information in there. Another thing is uh, people should ensure they have at least two weeks of medication for their pets in those disaster preparedness kits. So hospitals or, or clinics can ensure that uh, they're providing that for their clients and ensuring that they're, they're not getting out of date as well. We know that if medication sits for too long, it, it will no longer be um, good for their pets. So we wanna ensure that their clients are checking it regularly. Um, the clinic can also have lots of extra crates and supplies on hand and, and provide that for their clients in, in case of an evacuation. They need to have their own uh, evacuation plan their, themselves. Yeah, and, and certainly you can look on websites, ASBCA, HSUS. I did a checklist about 15 years ago. You can find it on DVM 360. So if you're a veterinary clinic and you're sort of worried about this stuff, prepare now, start to figure out how you're going to deal with it because it's not a matter of if it's ever going to happen, it's just when. I would also encourage you, one thing we've learned the hard way in the Carolinas during hurricanes and flooding is find out what your local emergency shelter policy is on allowing pets or not. So some states have certainly passed legislation that provides and permits you to take your dog or cat into a shelter or evacuation shelter with you. Others still do not. So you need to find that out now because that will absolutely determine how you're and where your clients would, you know, make a make a safe haven. It's absolutely right. And I, number one, love the point about having your medical records available and have them on a jump drive. I think that's so smart and something you could consider offering to your clients um, and in, in ensuring that they know about that app as well. And also to your point, Dr. Ernie, if you guys are not worried about disasters out there, start being worried because reacting is not the way in, in this type of situation. Being proactive and ready, I think it's the best thing you can do and it's the best thing for your clients and they'll appreciate you for that guidance. And I'm going to give you one tip, listeners. You're going to get a bonus tip today that it's not on the ASPCA. It's it's actually on that, that list that, that I did years and years ago. But I'm going to tell you a way to deal with something that you don't think about during an emergency. And that is, how do you get paid? So most of us do credit card transactions. You need to make sure you have an old imprint device. Yes, the device that you place the credit card down into and you swish it over and it makes an imprint on a carbonless paper. You need to actually have one of those in your clinic because when everything falls apart, as it always does during hurricanes in my area, you need to actually be able to complete those transactions. So a little bonus tip today, Becky, I, I you might not have encountered that, but that's a big thing in today's age of swipes and chips and so forth you need to make sure you got the old legacy systems in place you know i did a little retail therapy um just the other day and they were having trouble with their system and they old-fashioned swiped my card and i couldn't believe it so um yeah i actually had that happen just the other day what a great point 
Yeah, and depending on what resources your clinic has, you know, one of the things the ASPCA provides during some disaster responses is mobile clinics and providing uh, medical treatments to animals affected in the hardest hit areas. So that's that's a service that perhaps your clinic can provide, as well as uh, distribution of pet food and supplies uh, to areas impacted by the storm. That's an amazing tip. I love that being a mobile clinic if needed. Is there any type of resource or how could a veterinary clinic go about getting the information on how to do that? Uh, There are resources again on ASPCAPro.org and there's a lot of great webinars and, and tips on the website. And one other little bonus tip from me is depending on the area that you live and the likely natural disasters you're going to encounter, get up on the medicine. So for example, in the Carolinas post-hurricane, we're going to be dealing with a couple of primary types of injuries. One is going to be exposure, so dogs that were somehow escaped or let loose during the hurricane, so they're going to be dehydrated, they're going to perhaps be hypothermic. You know, so make sure that, that you understand the medicine. If you're in a wildfire area, you know, you're going to have thermal injuries, you're going to have smoke inhalation injuries, I mean, you're going to have a lot of those types of things. So stock up, make sure intellectually and medically you're ready to go with what you're going to likely see. And that's something that, you know, again, I learned the hard way early in my career back, you know, in 1992, 93, when I had my first hurricane uh, hit our clinic, our area where our clinic is. And, you know, suddenly I realized there's a lot of medicine that I'm not as comfortable with. So get comfortable. And from a uh, sheltering standpoint, one thing we often see is, is, you know, not just dogs and cats, but we have to be prepared for all types of animals. Right. And, you know, that's, that's horses and uh, snakes and chinchillas and anything and everything. We had an emu um, while we were responding to fires <laughs> in California. So uh, we saw pretty much everything in those responses responses and had to be prepared and the uh, veterinarians and shelter we were working with also had to be prepared from um, having the food to the medication on hand and the knowledge on how to uh, manage those animals and and their medical needs. Yeah, Gina, I'll jump in there real quick. I, I will tell you, yes, be prepared for the unexpected. One of the first things I encountered way back in the early 90s was the fact that many times local zoos and Animal rescue organizations aren't prepared. And so suddenly now the storm is bearing down upon you and they're going, help. You know, so so it, also, if you live in an area where there is some type of wild animal preserve or something, might be a good idea to reach out to them and say, hey, in the event of the unfortunate happening, what are your procedures, what are you doing to make sure that you can help and accommodate? I love that point too. And you know, one thing I'm thinking about is if you're in an area where a disaster is occurring, Ms. Gina, how does a veterinarian get in touch with the ASPCA to tell them I'm here to help? There's a disaster in my area. And then also how could somebody go about reaching you and say, we need your help in, in their area? How does that contact happen? The, the best thing to do is make that contact ahead of time. You don't want to reach out while the disaster is happening. Now, that can certainly happen. Um, you can reach out and ask for help, but really that needs to uh, go through your local community, the local uh, law enforcement and jurisdiction. The organization, we do uh, really ask that you reach out ahead of time, though, and we can 
uh, establish a relationship and know what what resources uh, you may need and what we can provide and make recommendations for you. Uh, and then when a disaster hits, we're all a little more prepared. I love that point. You know, if you want to be involved, reach out, just get in touch and, and start to make those contacts. And like you said, don't wait. One other point that I do want to make for a lot of the veterinary professionals out there, especially technicians, you know, it's it's a financial concern. And so one thing I wanted to emphasize is when you volunteer with the ASPCA, you are reimbursed for meals, your airfare is paid for, your hotel is paid for, so um, and you're, you're given uh, meals while you're at the hotel and lunch. So you're fully taken care of while you're there. This is not something that you have to be financially financially invested in. So a great opportunity just to want to point that out where people, um, a lot of the philanthropy out there costs a lot of money. And this is a great opportunity that won't cost a lot of money. So just wanted to make that point as well, because I can't talk enough about all of the wonderful things that the ASPCA does and the experience that I had and, and how much it gave back. So Ms. Gina, I can't thank you enough for what you do and the opportunity that you give veterinary professionals. And, you know, I, I just, we are so fortunate to have the vet professionals and their support, uh, their knowledge and support brings so much value to the team and we couldn't do the work without them. So we're really fortunate to have all the involvement and support from the medical community and all of our responders from those helping make enrichment to, uh, building crates to, to the vets. So everybody has a very important job, uh, when they deploy and we're so appreciative. It takes an army to uh, respond to both disasters and cruelty and we couldn't do it without our responders. Once again, Gina, what's the website where veterinarians and technicians and anybody who's interested can go to find out more? Sure, that's www.aspca.org. And they can also email furteaminfo, that's F-I-R, teaminfo, at ASPCA.org with any questions. And I'll be sure to give all those links in the show description. So again, you know, if you're interested, you want to help, or you just want to be prepared, definitely check out those resources. Again, disaster is inevitable. It's how we're prepared that makes all the difference in the world. So please, please, please do these things ahead of time because as Gina has said repeatedly throughout this podcast, don't wait until disaster strikes to start to prepare. It's too late. So thank you, Gina, for all you're doing with ASPCA, not only with disasters, but helping with animal cruelty, help fighting for the rights and protection of animals. I really, really appreciate everything that you guys are doing to make this world a better place for animals. Well, thank you. Well, you've heard what we have to say. We want to hear about you. Do you have a disaster story? Do you have a tip or trick that you'd like to share with your colleagues? Please join us on Twitter at Vet Viewfinder and on Facebook at Veterinary Viewfinder. And don't forget to click to subscribe so you don't miss one great episode of the Veterinary Viewfinder. Join us next week. We'll see you then. Bye. 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 Bye.